0: Welcome back to another episode of the Realm of Unknown. My name is Shane and I'm your host and we are back uh, after a rather long and unexpected hiatus on my part from about mid-October throughout November. There were no uploads and as you're aware, that's kind of weird out of the blue and uh, that's fully on my part uh, just due to work and other stuff. I just wasn't able to find the time to actually record or the motivation to really get episodes out. Um, I'm still sort of working through that, but setting aside time to make sure that I have a backlog that I can actually just rely on from now on and just pull from when it comes to, you know, needing an episode for the week. So with that, we have some, uh, interesting topics I have laid out that are essentially roadmap throughout next year. And, uh, with that, we have a story that I came across through the podcast known as Hillbilly Horror Stories, which I'm... Sure, you've heard of if you've been in this sort of environment before. They are a, I believe they're based out of Tennessee or Kentucky. I'm sorry to those two. Um, but they do very similar topics. They do, you know, paranormal, supernatural stuff, true crime, that sort of topics. And uh, really great. Uh, they did a, believe this is from an overall episode relating to werewolves. But I was so interested in this specific story that a few months later I decided to just write up my own stuff and do my own research into it, and I uh, came up with this. So without further ado, I am going to be introducing you guys to the Beast of the Land Between the Lakes. And uh, for short, at times, I will say the Beast of LBL because it's a weird name. So the land between the lakes actually refers to a national recreation area, which is located between both Kentucky and Tennessee. And the region is situated between both Lake Barkley and the Kentucky Lake uh, and was associated, or I should say, was turned into the recreational area in 1963. And this was done by President John F. Kennedy at the time. The region was originally known as uh, Between the Rivers, because at this point, uh, during the you know 1930s, when the names originally popped up, the area and the bodies of water that associated it were actually rivers. And this didn't change until about uh, the 1960s, I believe 1963, when the bodies of water were converted into man-made lakes due to the construction of a canal at, you know, the higher point of the lake, or the river, I should say. The average small-town type of feel is very prominent within this region. Uh, It has a very good old American-type feel uh, when it comes to, you know, the atmosphere, the environment, the type of people that you'll come across. So it's a very, if you can think of, rural, small-town, middle America-type atmosphere. And uh, that's actually a reason as to why a lot of these stories come about, and we will discuss that as we go through when it comes to the paranormal and strange encounters of LBL. So despite the new development and sort of modern focus on the region in past decades, again, the area has a very sort of rural feel to it, and with that comes a variety of strange occurrences from nightly spirits, Indian curses, mysterious lights in the woods, and possibly the most bizarre and what we will be spending most of our time focusing on today, a bipedal creature which is said to prowl the landscape known simply as the beast between the rivers, or the beast of the land between the lakes, which is what most people know it as today, being The beast of LBL. The creature itself is typically said to look rather like a bipedal wolf, uh, why most people associate it to being a possible werewolf sighting. It stands around 7 feet tall with clawed hands, powerful jaws and teeth, glowing red eyes or yellow eyes in some instances, and uh, is cloaked with a rather rotten stench. Supposedly, accounts uh, and tells of these strange sightings date back into the region's earliest settlers, this being Europeans who came into the location, uh, specifically French trappers and hunters, who claimed that the forest uh, had a massive beast that was lurking around that was both half man, half animal. Now, it should be noted that, from what I can find, there's not really any firm uh, establishment of any native american stories i will vaguely mention it i believe later on into the notes however just keep in mind that this isn't one of those stories in which natives were the first ones to talk about things it's very much the europeans and then afterwards whoever resided there so the french trappers who moved into the area they referred to the beast simply as loop garu which i'm probably pronouncing wrong Uh, and it is often blamed for the disappearances of hunters who just sort of went away in the woods at night Uh, according to native shawnee tribes this is pretty much the only account that i could find when it comes to the region Uh, according to the shawnee tribe this abnormality uh is actually linked to the spirit of a powerful shape-shifting shaman and the outside influence of individuals coming into the region Marked the emergence of the creature as a sort of warning or omen of the forest so again it's very much tied to the resurgence of europeans into the area that this creature may have popped up just due to them being there so it, that's why sort of why there's not any further back stories relating to native lore because it seems as though it's directly related to them being taken out of their land so Keep that in mind. These settlers, however, did not heed the warnings and uh they would have their lives uh their livestock killed, and by all accounts it seems as though a hairy wolf man or wolf-like creature was to blame. However, um and I should say these sightings do carry out into today, which we will talk about. However, I do have a caveat towards the very end of the episode when it comes to modern day sightings. Uh, Also, when it comes to historical reasons, a lot of people maybe think that the livestock was killed off by the natives themselves as a sort of revenge type thing. So just, there's possibilities when it comes to this creature. So moving into the 20th century and the reports that come about with the Beast of LBL. A somewhat more recent account of the beast occurred in 1973... A group of students from Morris State University were reportedly camping in the area late one evening when one of the individuals you know wandered off to relieve themselves. This is when he came back screaming and just completely in fear, and it sort of sparked a panic in the campsite. So when asked what was going on, he said that he had the overwhelming feeling of being watched out in the woods. And not long after that, something could be heard moving and crashing through the surrounding brush, making snorting and sniffling sounds. Most, in most accounts, this would refer to, you know, an animal. They very much agree that it was some for, sort of animal. So the campers never actually saw anything too solid as they kept hearing the sounds, it kept circling them. They weren't able to really pinpoint where it was, but they do know that it was stalking them in some regard. But that is when they heard a very massive howl. And at this point, the group jumped into their car and they began to drive away. However, the beast actually gave chase and reportedly was able to catch up to them. Supposedly, it was able to grab hold of the car and actually hold it. Like, as the car was moving, it was able to hold it still for a little while until whoever was driving it just floored it and flew it off. Uh, They managed to get back to the university okay, however it is noted that they did have car damage on their vehicle, so who knows whether or not the story is actually 100% factual, but it is something that has been spread throughout the area. Now another account, I should say another two accounts as we go through this, uh, I would say are the probably more prominent stories when it comes to the Beast of LBL, and uh, take these with a grain of salt. A huge grain of salt because these come from a blogger and noted uh, researcher of phenomena in the area, being uh, Jane Thompson, who, in this story specifically, uh, the first one, allegedly had an encounter with her cousin Joe during the summer of 1978. Uh, Joe was an avid rider of dirt bikes, and they would often, you know, go out, and Joe would go out onto the trail and they would just watch as he would go through. So one evening when they were doing this, they actually went into the trails of LBL. And on this day, he sort of was gone for a little bit longer. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jane and another one of their cousins was there. Uh, They heard Joe just screeching through the woods. like His bike suddenly made a really frantic whine and uh, picked up the pace and came speeding towards them at full speed. Uh, He soon went right past them and uh, made a pretty much beeline to the house. Finally, when the two of them reached back up to him, he was freaking out and they asked him, you know, what's going on? What's happening? You just floored it through past us. And the only thing that he could get out was that uh, it grabbed me. It took my leg uh, or look at my leg. Joe screamed and uh, they both looked down and he had prominent slash marks through his clothing. Uh, He continues on to account that uh, whatever this thing was, quote-unquote, was able to walk on two legs, that it chased after him, and uh, that it was very hairy, and that it was too long to be... It was just too long. It was very hairy. It was too long. It walked on two legs. It ran on two legs. Uh, And as he was explaining all this to Jane and their other cousin, the dogs started to go crazy at the house. Because again, Joe ran, uh, drove right past them. Now They're now back at the house. Uh, and the dogs that they have in the yard are just going crazy. They're barking. They're howling. Uh, but then all of a sudden, they start to cower in fear. Uh, and they all look off towards the woods, off towards the tree lines where Joe came flooring out of. And uh, from that point, they see the silhouette of something walk out of the tree line. The entity, the creature, whatever it is, uh, was very tall. It was huge, hairy, and as Joe described, walked on two legs. The snout of this individual or creature, uh, they described as being rather long, very different from sightings that people have typically of Bigfoot of a very similar size. However, again, with the long snout, it'd be closer described to perhaps a bear or, in this case, a werewolf. So at this point, the group freaked out. They ran into the house. They got under the bed. They got knives because they're kids. They're teenagers. And they continued to hear the creature move about. They began to hear it howl in the distance. And once it started to howl, the dogs began to bark again. They were going crazy. And this continued on until Jane's aunt, so Joe's mom... uh. Returned back home, so the parental supervision's back home, and with that came you know the headlights of their car, which shined and supposedly scared the creature off, uh, and they didn't hear from it again that night. So, keeping to consideration, these are three teenagers, three young like kids at this point, uh, out in the woods on their own. So, if they did see something similar to a bear, perhaps on its hind legs, then. You could kind of see how they would freak out in a very similar manner. So, on to the next story, which again, take with a grain of salt, but this is probably the most notable story in relation to the Beasts of LBL. This is actually the story that I originally heard from Hillbilly Horror Stories. They were recounting it, and they also, you know, said, like, take this into consideration that this is very. Iffy in a lot of regards. Um and when I say that, it is also because Jane, for the most part, is the only one who talks about it. So I'll continue on with that after this, but the story itself, just keep that in mind. So this individual story comes from the nineteen eighties, uh the very early nineteen eighties I should say. And this took place in another campsite of sorts. Uh, so at this time in this location, uh, there was actually a military bunker that was sort of abandoned and the grounds of that region were sort of turned into a pseudo campsite where people would bring campers or RVs, bring their family and they would just set up for you know, the weekend or whatever. And one such family actually did that. Um, however, when it comes to this individual family, uh, it was a, m- a mom, a dad, and their two children, a girl and a little boy. So the four of them were there. They were a young couple. They were young children. Uh, they went out to the campsite. They were towards like the end of the campsite, like closer to the woods, further away from the rest of the campers. And after a while, there was a report. So as the story goes, uh, police were eventually called into the campsite and into the area uh, because it had been discovered that there was a potential beast attack or an animal attack or something, uh, some report uh, of mutilation on the campsite. So when they got there, they found very badly mutilated bodies of three of the four campers, this being the parents, as well as one of their children what being the son. Uh, their corpses were pretty bad uh, at this point. There were very prominent signs that a massive animal of some sorts came through and just sort of ripped them apart. Uh, and what I mean by that is I mean that things were literally everywhere. Uh, they were pretty much sp- like spread across the entire campsite uh they had bite marks that were reportedly didn't match anything in the region so to keep this into perspective that would be you know bears uh, canines like coyotes maybe wolves uh and cougars so mountain lions those are like the biggest things i can think of in the region i don't know if uh wolverines get that far down i don't think they do but aside from those there aren't really larger animals here in uh the united states that would have that level of ferocity to take down a whole family essentially uh but when it comes to this that you know the police realized that there was also a fourth individual there uh they found evidence that there was a little girl that there was another child uh, but there were no signs of her. Like they, they, they found no evidence that she was part of the, the carnage. They didn't find her nearby. They didn't know where she was. So the focus ended up shifting into a manhunt of sorts. So the officers sort of split up. They grouped into individual areas. They moved into the woods and they began investigating as if this was a, you know, missing persons. They were very optimistic when it came to. You know, they were hopeful, I should say. Uh, This was until they heard a scream that sort of echoed out throughout the woods. And uh, upon investigating the scream, the officers realized that it was actually one of their own. Uh, It was a man, uh, one of the officers, who was out there searching, who let out this screech, essentially. And... It was bad. Uh, so when they found him, he was very clearly in distress. Uh, and He was covered on, with blood across his face, the front of his shirt, as well as his hat. Uh, when they realized, however, that the blood was coming from above them, up into the tree lines, uh, they that's when they realized what was there. That the body of the little girl was actually discovered uh, way, way, way up into the trees. So much so that... Like, so extremely high, I should say, that you would have had to have climbed the tree a good bit to get to there. And she was, like, perfectly perched up there on the tree. Uh, it had looked as though something carried her up there. Like, you couldn't get there if you were hurt. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how badly you were hurt, you couldn't climb the tree to that height. You wouldn't be able to, like, you were, like really maneuver properly. And it was just, there's no reason as to why a tree way out in the woods, away from the campsite, because the campsite was there, it was near the woods, but it wasn't in the woods. It was in the little military bunker area. So there's a few, you know, several yards away into the tree lines, way up into the tree. There's no rhyme or reason as to how it should have gotten there um again you know it's very much leaning towards this being an animal attack of some sort so potentially there's some you know some credibility to it possibly being a bear of some sorts who did the attack and then you know they're also known for climbing trees in some regards i don't know if they're meant to climb trees and eat i don't think they do so it's very bizarre um, supposedly, when it comes to this account, uh, saliva and fur samples were also taken. Um, the fur was taken you know, pretty much from the entire uh, campsite area, as well as some samples near the girl in the tree. And saliva samples were taken from pretty much both locations as well. However, uh, they were sent off to get it analyzed, and they came back as being a sort of unidentified species very similar to wolves. Uh, They were an unidentified canine species of sorts. However, where it gets even more strange uh, and a bit questionable when it comes to the recounting of this story, because again, I'm a third party person recounting Jane's story, which recounts this actual story. Jane, they report that this story never came out. Uh, that the media, that the news never actually covered it, and that it was actually a cover-up. This whole murder, uh, four-person slaughter fest uh, was covered up by the local government so that it would not threaten the tourist industry, which the region very heavily relies on. It would be very you know, bad if the word of a gruesome, mysterious family murder took place, especially on a campground uh, where people would go to visit. So they sort of locked it away. Uh, they didn't. They told the media not to talk about it. They told the police not to talk about it. No one talked about it. However, it got leaked through sources uh, and eventually got to Jane somehow. Uh, a, again, a blogger and avid paranormal investigator slash researcher of the region. Uh, but she was the first one, apparently. Um, and again, this took place back in the 80s. So take it with a grain of salt again huge grain of salt but it's very bizarre to think that you know i should say there's a lot of skepticism when it comes to the online community with jane and her reports of this particular story a lot of people uh, are very accusational saying that this is just you know fabricated urban legend but she remains pretty adamant that this is what happened Perhaps maybe not all the details a hundred percent, but this is the general story that you could expect. And there are you know there are several stories that come out, and she continues uh, to sort of support her i her idea of this story by saying that there are several stories of werewolf like creatures at LBL, and that fishermen, campers, you know, boaters, hunters, they all see these things. That hikers hear howling. So she remains pretty confident that there's something there at the very least that something is in the woods uh to sort of support her story um however i would say it's the shift focus from jane because again it's very hard to actually dive into it because it is so like she's the only source and she doesn't source where she got that story so it it just understand that uh if you do want to look into it i believe she's known as the cloaked hedgehog uh over in her blog and as well as her youtube channel so if you want to look it up for yourself to go feel free to um but just again understand that she's the only source in this story So in the meantime, others have come forward with their own experiences, aside from Jane, uh, about an elusive beast. There have been reports of being watched, hearing uh, howls in the night in the woods. There have also been many uh, reports of badly mauled carcasses of deers out in the wilderness. However, However, again, take that into consideration that bears and other carnivorous animals do live in the area, so it's not weird to see a deer that's being half eaten. Individuals also report, specifically hunters, that they don't like the area. That they do think that the area is somewhat cursed, and it's sort of like a folklorish legend on their parts to just kind of avoid that area of the woods for one reason or another. Uh, when it comes to physical evidence of you know the beast of LBL. There really isn't any, aside from you know, accounts of potential hair, potential saliva, mysterious footprints here and there, maybe quote-unquote nests that were used that supposedly something slept in. However, all of them are inconclusive at best, uh, and some of them don't even have any sourcing to find that evidence again. So most of what we have to go off of is eyewitness testimony and reporting from, you know, third-party individuals. It's very, very word-of-mouth type story and not one that you can actually, you know, physically see evidence based off of. But if you are interested, um, a very solid, you know, organized timeline of events when it comes to presenting you know the the beast of lbl comes from a documentary by barton uh Nathan, ooh, barton noli and it is called hunt uh hunt the beast man high strangeness in western kentucky which i myself have not watched because i do try to avoid firm documentaries and uh you know, specific podcasts while I'm doing the research because I kind of like to look into the sources on my own and make my own conclusions, uh, mainly because if I listen to it too firmly, uh, then my kind of, my kind of view of the story is going to get a little bit skewed, hence why I waited like two, three months to talk about this, uh, after listening to hillbilly horror stories. And they, even they were like a third party thing. So I, It was like a very small segment of an overall werewolf-themed story. But yeah, if you are interested in that, again, it's called Hunt the Beastman, High Strangeness in Western Kentucky. And as a sort of wrap-up, just some potential explanations for the Beast uh, of LBL. There's a lot that exists out there. Several theories from all sorts of individuals and eyewitnesses claim that it could be something either similar to, or in some cases different from Bigfoot, uh, being a large bipedal creature. Some saying that it is just an actual werewolf out in the woods, or some actually say that it is a potential dogman, which there are several sightings of across the United States uh, in various varieties, so maybe something we could discuss later on down the line. Uh, But that's another theory out there. Others actually say that it might just be you know, a misidentification of a different animal, perhaps you know a dog or a wolf, uh, or in some cases a bear that might be up on its hind legs. Um, black bears, I believe, are the most common in that area. I don't think grizzly bears get down that far into Kentucky, so we'll see. I don't know specifics, but I would say black bears are the firmest account. That's probably the closest thing to what you could probably say is what it is. And even some, you know, we mentioned with the Shawnee native tribe, uh, some actually think it might be some sort of spirit of the forest or some native like warning type thing or omen of some sorts. Uh, So some people maybe lean towards a more paranormal side of things. Now, finally, I do want to mention something that came up during uh, looking into this that I did not see when it came to other recountings of the story. And this specifically came from the Hopkin or the Hoptown Chronicles, which is a local newspaper in that region and this is how the story of the Beast of l b l kind of affects the people who are originally from that area uh so more specifically, they don't really like the idea that the area was turned into a recreational area by the government Me- you know meaning it would be government land, it would be public land, that sort of stuff. You couldn't hold private uh land rights in that area i don't think so a lot of people actually lost the region in which their family was in for a very long time uh there are a lot of personal cemeteries in the region there are a lot of homesteads in the region now being that being said uh native tribes probably would have said the same thing back when the the land was being taken but you know that similar argument of you know you're kicking us out to make it room for something else, um a lot of people don't like the story due to the negative light that it gives uh and the attraction that it brings from outside influences uh because again, it's a very small area, a lot of people have family roots there um again, there's cemeteries there dating back to the eighteen hundreds, and that's all gone a lot of in a lot of cases. Uh That allure that mysteriousness of middle America ruralness is just gone, and they are very upset with that. Not everyone, obviously, but a good portion of the community does not fully enjoy the existence of this beast story, and they say it is all fake, it is all fabricated um that it is being blown out of proportions based off of stories and legends from the region. Which they themselves do say is just a thing that happens. Like, the woods are weird, the rural area is a very mysterious feel to it, and uh, so it's expected that stories like this would pop up from time to time. However, they do believe that the Beast of the Land Between the Lakes is just one of those stories that has been blown out of proportions Due to the resurgence of the internet, due to more people's interest in the region, as well as, you know, interest in this overall strangeness. So it's definitely something to consider. I would say it's definitely questionable after looking into the story myself. Um, I, I would like it to be somewhat real. It would suck, though, because people potentially had died because of it. Uh, But overall, I think it's one of those weird stories from middle America that just give that goodness when it comes to paranormal stuff. Uh, It's definitely one of something I didn't hear about until actually getting into this sort of stuff. Again, you know, listening to another podcast of very similar topics. And it's definitely something that I would like to look into further to see if there are any updates as of recent years. Um, I have not found any. But if there are any, and you guys do have any stories or family stories, definitely feel free to reach out to us over uh, reach out to us over, you know, social media or email uh, when it comes to recounting your own tale, or even to rebuke old tales, you know, feel free to say it's all fake, because I definitely like having that open discussion. And that's actually going to wrap up for today's episode. Uh, Yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed it again we are going to be back for the foreseeable future of things uh obviously things are in turmoil when it comes to the country but hopefully that doesn't affect just sitting down and recording audio because i would like to continue this as much as i can So feel free to look us up over on social media. That's Twitter and Instagram at Realm of Unknown. I'm also bringing back the Facebook page. Uh, It's just a place that I post articles now and then. Um, Feel free to like it if you wish. And if you wish to support the podcast, you can do so in a variety of ways. Uh, the first being the Patreon, which is Patreon slash Realm of Unknown. We have a $1, 3 and $5 tier list where you can get behind-the-scenes content, bonus videos, and audio, as well as other discussions and articles that I come across that we will discuss. You also get monthly polls for Patreons, so feel free to look into that. There's also a few free things that you would... Uh, be might be interested in if you so please also feel free to leave a like on apple or spotify or i not like a review on can't like podcasts uh but feel free to leave a review i don't really mind what the, the, the star number is just i like the having that open discussion and review based system because it allows me to see what's being done well and what could have improvements so feel free to do that uh and until next week i hope you guys remain spooky and have a good time and remember stay safe and everything too all right <laughs>